God, we come before you in prayer once more. And Lord, we just ask simply that you would bless our time, the rest of our time together this morning, Lord, that as we pour over your word, that it would sharpen us to better cut through this world with your goodness, God, and that it would convict us, God, to bring our brokenness to you, that we might be of better service to one another and to you, ultimately, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, again. That's the third good morning this morning. Uh, this is the, the last part in the series that we've been in. Uh, the scripture that we're going to be studying through is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. And I just want to do a quick recap on, on, on what we've gone over the last couple of weeks. Our first challenge, I'm going to move this just a little bit. Our first challenge was to simply to, to get out there and, and learn somebody's name. And, and, and we know that when we get, get outside of our comfort zones with, with people that are outside of our circle, it, it deepens our understandings about life, about our needs, about the roles that we can play in one another's stories. Last week, we talked about the messy nature of putting our ideas and theories into practice and in as far as loving one another is concerned. And today, we're going to dial it up a notch as far as discomfort is concerned. Uh, we're going to look at receiving that love. Jesus loved so extravagantly, and we believe that he continues to do so. He adores his bride, the church, us. And we have so much to learn from him in those who he loves and forgives. So if, you've, if you're in your, in your Bibles already, good. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 7, 36 through 50, and it reads like this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Last week, we, uh, we looked at these, these two groups of religious leaders that we frequently read about in the New Testament and how each of them held influence with different parts of the social structure. The Sadducees holding sway with the ruling class and the Pharisees with the working class. And remember those three questions I posed last week that, that when we're reading scripture, we ask these things. Who is speaking? Who is being spoken to? And what is being said? So a Pharisee had extended an invitation to Jesus. And it's important to take note of who extended the invitation, not just some random religious leader, but a Pharisee, a leader who held sway with the common man, the working class. Side note real quick, uh, we'll actually get, we're going to do a deep dive on this guy, this particular uh, Pharisee who we're reading about in this story in the future some other Sunday. The story is told a few times in the Gospels, and it's an interesting study. But for now, we'll focus on, on this telling alone. So since Jesus had accepted the invitation from the Pharisee, uh, he could not be accused of spurning the Pharisee socially. And very quickly in the text, the focus turns to this woman. One commentary that I reference supposes that this woman is taking advantage of a particular social custom that, that permits the needy to visit a banquet such as this to, to receive some leftovers. And that's why she's there, seemingly. Why was she really there? She specifically came to see Jesus, bringing with her a jar or a little bottle of perfume. And while, while Jesus was reclining at the table, she prepared to pour the perfume on his feet, a humble act, a loving act, but a flow of tears preceded the outpouring of the perfume. So she wiped his feet lovingly with her hair, and maybe even impulsively, and she kissed them before using the perfume. And in this, I, I, I love the Gospel of Luke. It's so well written. In this superb narrative, Luke now directs attention to the Pharisee who mulls over the matter and he draws a few conclusions he says to himself, if, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman was anointing his feet. If he, if he knew what kind of woman she was, he would not permit her to do so. Because he does let her anoint his feet, he is no prophet. That's what he's thinking. And should not be acknowledged as such. But Jesus does what? He does let her anoint his feet. He does let her expend the perfume on him. And he does not shun her. He shows that he does have this unique, singular insight into the human heart. And he knows what the Pharisee is thinking. He knows what the woman has brought with her. And when Jesus tells Simon, his host, that he has something to say to him, he is, this guy's probably expecting some, some stock word of wisdom from his teacher guest. And he sharply replies, tell me, teacher, tell me. And it's at this juncture in the story that the point of these happenings are made clear and the host, Simon, is made to give this conclusion that will condemn him. And the manner and tone of his response implies this uneasy reluctance, like he knows he's, ah, oh, man, he got me. And he says, I suppose. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, he says, that is the one 
who loves more. And once again, the woman is back in the spotlight of the narrative. Jesus first contrasts her acts of devotion with the lack of special attention on Simon's part as the host. Then Jesus declares that her sins have been forgiven, which by the way, he does not hesitate to say are many. He doesn't pull any punches. And he affirms this because her act of love shows her realization of forgiveness. It shows her realization of forgiveness. Her love is not the basis of forgiveness. Her faith is. And as this this plot comes to an end, attention rapidly shifts from one person to the next, from Jesus to the Pharisee to the woman to the Pharisee to Jesus And Simon, this religious leader, a Pharisee, seemingly well-connected to the working class, that's who this guy is, it becomes evident that he knows little or nothing of either forgiveness or love. And Jesus, the Son of God, the author of life, pronounces this woman forgiven. And the other guests, who I can only imagine are socially adjacent or something like that, with this Pharisee begin to say among themselves, who is this guy? Who is this guy that he's doing what he's doing? Who has the power to forgive sins? But Jesus pays them no mind. Instead, his focus is hyper-directed at this woman His love is directed on this woman and he says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now let's just take a moment to recognize and appreciate how countercultural this situation is. For as over the top as the interaction is between this woman and Jesus, it is equally if not more astonishing to see how, how Jesus responds to the thoughts and accusations of the people in this room. You see, the only thing more extravagant than the love this woman shows Jesus is the love that Jesus shows her. From the moment that this woman appears on the scene, Jesus knew everything about her. He knows. He knew the depth of her sin, the depth of her story and her past failures better than anyone. And even though Jesus was eating with this super religious, super important Pharisee, who was Jesus drawn to? Who did he give his attention to? Jesus didn't see this this woman as, as some distraction or some passerby, but he saw her as the focal point. I'm going to focus in on verse 38 for, for, for a moment here. In verse 38, we're told that this woman uses her hair to wipe her tears from the feet of Jesus. And there's something significant in that. The commentary that I used in preparation for this message notes that the woman's unbound hair might have been an indicator that she was indeed a prostitute. So her hair would have been an identifying factor to the sinful nature of her lifestyle. It's the thing that when people looked at her, they said, oh, that's what she is. And this woman, you guys see what's happening here? This woman takes the thing that marks her for a sinner, for a prostitute, and literally, not figuratively, but but literally 
takes this thing that marks her for a sinner and puts it at the feet of Jesus. And all of this takes place before she pours out the perfume. Her act of love is not the basis of her forgiveness. Her faith is, and her faith came first. She brought with her a lavish gift to pour out at the feet of Jesus, but simply being in his presence stirred something in her and made her realize that her gift is pointless if she doesn't first offer up her brokenness. What can we learn here? What can we learn from from people in our lives like this woman? What if, what if people like her are instruments that God has given us to show what extravagant love looks like? Instead of, instead of pushing them away, what if we pulled close to them and learned from them? Amen. So often what the world wants to say is a distraction in our lives, whether it's people or events, whatever it is, these, these are the things that Jesus wants us to see, to hear, to pay attention to the most. Amen. These distractions... Sometimes uh, that just pop up in your life, these little uh, teachable moments when you don't know if you're going to be the, the giver or the recipient of God's goodness, but these little distractions are what a good friend of mine call, calls divine appointments. Jesus loves us extravagantly. And I want to learn to love others that way too. It is my prayer that, that each one of us would, would want to learn to love extravagantly. I want us to be unconcerned with who may be offended or annoyed with the love that flows in and out of our lives. And there's just this one catch though. There's this one, one catch and really it's not even a catch. It's just, it's logic. It's that you can't give what you don't have. And over the past few weeks, our, our challenge or challenges have, have been to, to step out of our, of our comfort zone, to step out and step forward in faith and, and to be pouring into others what Jesus has, has already poured into us. And, and some of you have shared with me your experiences in, in these challenges. And I'm excited for some that, that the church is finally starting to leave the church, if that makes sense, that the church is finally starting to leave the building. Your understanding of Jesus our understanding of Jesus is finally starting to see the other six days of the week. I know for myself, when I look at this, this woman, I know for myself it's so much more difficult to be the recipient of love and goodness than it is to be the giver of love and goodness. There might be somebody who approaches me and and offers up whatever it is that they have to offer. And my, my, my reaction, my response so frequently is, I'm, I'm good. I'm all set. Hey, thank you for thinking of me, but, but I actually don't need anything. What a crock. And there's that catch that I can't give what I don't have. And if I'm running on the false narrative of of self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-will, self-anything, then I'm all dried up. And after that, any good works that I do, well, they begin to have conditions attached to them. And if my good works don't garner the results that I want, then I begin to think that something is amiss. Jesus said this, he says, he says, 
A new command I give you. Love one another. That's the whole sentence. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. When we give and receive the love of Christ through one another, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-will, self-anything, those things begin to disappear. And as a result, our lives become filled with all that God is, and that is love. And when our lives become filled with the love of God, we begin to offer our bodies, our lives, as living, sacrifice, holy, and pleasing to God, what Scripture calls our true and proper worship. I want to return just for a moment to that, to that woman again that we read about in Luke 7. She, she, she uses the symbol of her brokenness to wipe her tears from the feet of Jesus. And all of this takes place before she gives her offering of love. And I want to repeat this one more time. Her act of love is not the basis of her forgiveness. Her faith is. Her faith came first. Something inside her somehow knew that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Does that sound familiar? She brought with her this lavish gift to pour out at the feet of Jesus, but simply being in his presence stirred something in her and made her realize that her gift is without value. It is pointless. It is nullified if she doesn't first offer up her brokenness. A well-known theologian and, and preacher said something to this effect, the greatest barrier in the relationship between us and God is unconfessed sin. So I want to challenge you today and going forward to just be honest. What is that sin what is that shortcoming? We all have at least one, if we're being honest. One times how many, I don't know. And what is it? What is it? Bring that sin, bring that, that failure, be it one or many, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Bring that symbol of your brokenness. Bring that habit, bring that obsession, bring that idol, bring the thing that marks you for a sinner, bring it to the feet of Jesus. Do you want to love God and love others? Good, great. But don't stop at the idea or the theory of loving God and loving others. Do it, do all of it. Remember and understand that if we confess our sins that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember and understand that Jesus taught us that we are to love one another. To love one another as he has loved us. If this is all too much, I don't know if we have any first-timers here today, and you're like, whoa, pump the brakes, fella. 
hey, this is all too much, if it's more than you can absorb or understand or put into practice, then I offer you a different challenge, even if you're not a first-timer. If it's all too much, I offer you a different challenge. It's very simple. We talked about it in our, our prayer meeting this morning. The challenge is to simply be in His presence. I'm not one to make empty promises, at least on a regular basis. And I promise you that if you devote yourself and your time and your energy to being in the presence of Jesus, your life will change. You won't have a choice in the matter if you devote yourself and your time and your energy to being in the presence of Jesus. Your life will change. So if you can muster it, just do this. Just turn off your phone for a while. I know that sounds harsh, but the world will be okay without you. <laughs> Quiet your mind and simply exist in the presence of Jesus. Anybody in here know who uh, A.W. Tozer is? Yeah? He once said this, one should retire from the world each day to some private spot, stay in the secret place till the surrounding noises begin to fade out of your heart and a sense of God's presence envelops you. Deliberately tune out the unpleasant sounds and come out of your closet, out of your secret place, determined not to hear them. Listen inward until you learn to recognize the voice of God. My hope, my prayer is that we all learn to recognize the voice of God that we all bring our brokenness to the feet of Jesus and that we all receive and give the love of God. Let's pray. Lord, grant us the wisdom to look inward and to be honest with ourselves and with you about what marks us as a sinner. Give us the courage to bring those things to the cross. God, I pray that everyone in this room today and in all that, that we know would be affected by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would be convicted by the Holy Spirit to come forward with those things, Lord, that we would break down the barriers between you and us in a loving relationship. And God, I pray that we would be convicted to just stop that we would have the presence of mind to just stop and be with you, Lord, in complete surrender. If only for a, a moment or a handful of moments, Lord, that we would just stop and be with you, that we might be forever changed by you. We thank you, God. 
We thank you for your word that it might teach us, and we thank you for your son that we have salvation. And above all today, Father, we thank you for your love. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.